Thank you for listening to the City Lights podcast. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. We hope you enjoy the message. All right, good morning. How are you guys all doing today? Hey, can I just say that I love worshiping with you guys? I love this church. I love experiencing Jesus with all of you. And I wanna say thank you because I know that each week you guys come hungry and I believe that part of the encounter that we have is because of the hunger that you guys bring to the table. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name's Adam. I'm uh, an associate pastor here and I'm bringing the message today. Thank you, Pastor Kurt, for letting me up here to share. Um, I wish that it was a thunderstorm outside so like Pastor Bill, I could have these momentous moments in my message today where God's just backing me up. So if it happens today, you know he really wants you to pay attention to that point for sure. All right, before I get started, I wanna ask you a question. And this is not a rhetorical question and hopefully I haven't been up here long enough yet that you've already checked out. So if, raise your hand if this applies to you. If it doesn't, that's okay. I'm not gonna judge and, and nobody else can judge if they don't raise their hand. How many of you want to be more like Jesus? All right, awesome. It's pretty much what I expected. I don't think I saw any hands down. All right, I have a, a scripture for you that'll show you how to be more like Jesus. Matthew 20, 28. So the son of man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If you wanna be more like Jesus, serve. Amen? And that's what we're talking about today, servanthood. I'm glad the doors are shut because nobody's running out. I can see if they are. (laughs) All right, servanthood is kind of a, most anybody who's been a Christian for any amount of time knows it's kind of a prerequisite for the Christian faith, right? We have to serve. A lot of times you hear about it and it's, it's taught or, or shared or the expectation is that it's just the sacrificial thing. We have to give of ourselves for, the, for everybody else. That's true. But I believe that servanthood is actually a weapon in our arsenal in the spirit realm to take ground for the kingdom of God. I believe that it's not something that only helps out those who we are serving, but I believe it helps us out as well. Amen? So today we're gonna look at, my, my message is titled, A Servant's Position. And this is not the position as far as like the servant's position is to be on their hands and knees and serving. It's more as a servant, where will you be positioned in life? How will God use your servanthood to position you in key points? And we're gonna take a look at that. We're gonna take a look at the life of King David, one of my favorite people in the Bible. I love him because his flaws are out there for all of us to see. And they're pretty big, right? He had an affair. He killed a man whose wife he was sleeping with. He messed up as a father. He made some pretty big mistakes, but after all that, even in the midst of all that, God still calls him a man after my own heart. And my hope is that in my life, God will look at me and say, he's a man after my own heart, no matter how many mistakes he's making, he's a man after my own heart. But today we're gonna look at King David, kind of in that time period between when he's anointed king and he becomes king. And we're gonna look at what we can learn from him when he's a servant. And I wanna give some qualifications for this. These scriptures, I'm gonna read them really quick. They're not gonna be up on the screen. Psalm 89.20 says, I have found David my servant. With my sacred oil, I have anointed him. 2 Samuel 7.8, now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. And Ezekiel 37.24, my servant David will be king over them. So if God's calling David his servant multiple times in scripture, can we all agree that David's a good example to use as a servant? Okay, so we're gonna look at David and then we're gonna look briefly at a story of a man named Obed-Edom, the Gittite, one of my favorite people in scripture as well. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. So David is first mentioned in 1 Samuel 16, one through 13. This is where he's anointed the next king of Israel. 
So Saul is the first king of Israel, but his heart starts to depart from the Lord and the Lord says, I'm removing my anointed from him. Samuel, I need you to go anoint my next king. And so that's what we read about in 1 Samuel 16, one through 13. Now, many people believe that it was between 10 and 15 years before, from when David's anointed king to when he becomes king. So as we read one through 13, you see that David's being anointed king. The very next thing you read, 1 Samuel 16, verses 14 through 23, this is where we're gonna start today. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, see an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is fine looking and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse, said, send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them with his son, David, to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, allow David to remain in my service for I am pleased with him. Whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. So again, this is the the very first thing we read after David is anointed king. My question to you is why would God say, I'm removing my anointing from this person, I'm placing it on you, and then take that very same person and put them in service of the person who he's removing his anointing from? So my first point is that serving can position you in alignment with your calling. Serving can position you in alignment with your calling. Now I wonder, I like to think through things practically. A lot of times I'll read through scripture and I'll either put myself in the situation of that person or maybe on the outskirts, like watching a situation go down and kind of wonder how I would feel. And I wonder if David thought, wait, you're sending me to serve this guy? Didn't you just say that he's not fit to be king? (laughs) Why would I go serve him? Right, but God sends David there. I wonder if David had some things to learn from Saul about being king. David had been a shepherd. He knew how to take care of sheep. He knew how to fight off animals. He didn't know how to be a king. He didn't know the daily governance of a kingdom. He didn't know how to command an army. And I wonder sometimes in those moments when, when Saul was distressed, when he was being tormented by that spirit, if he was talking through or processing through how to govern a kingdom. If he was like, man, this situation's happening, I just don't know how to handle it. And that was just making him more frustrated. Or I don't know how to command the army in this situation. I feel like we're gonna lose this, lose this battle. What, what should I do? And David's just sitting back there. I don't know how big a liar is. Maybe he's like this. He's sitting back in the corner, just playing his little instrument. And he's, you know, he's calming him, but I wonder if he's watching him process of this. And I wonder if in that time, he's learning how to be a king. Do you know that you can still learn things from bad leadership? right? I'm meddling in your business now. How many of us, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one. How many of us have had bad leaders, (laughs) bad managers, right? People who make bad decisions and we have to see that. Do you know that you can still learn from them? In fact, in some cases, I believe you can learn more from bad leadership than good leadership because you can learn how not to do things. (laughs) I'm sure we've all been there. One of the things my dad said to me constantly growing up uh, I know a lot of people have like, oh, my grandma always said, my papa always said. My, I didn't have much of those, but one thing my dad did say over and over to me is learn from other people's mistakes. Don't go through them yourself. Learn from other people's mistakes. 
And I wonder if King David was doing that as he was watching Saul. David knew he had a calling, but he didn't let that deter him from serving. I was listening to a podcast uh, from a worship leader years ago, a great guy, and he was talking about service and specifically to ministry. And he said, many times people feel like they pay their dues in service. When in reality, service isn't something we grow out of. It's something we continually grow in. Amen? It should be something that we're continually growing in. When Pastor Kurt brought me on uh, onto his staff, one of the things he said right off the bat is he said, I've got a team of directors. These people, many of them have been with them since the beginning, since this church launched. They're, they're wonderful, they're anointed, they're called. He wants them to be their pastoral team, his, his pastoral staff. And there were some things we needed to figure out on the back end of things, according to our bylaws, who could be licensed, who could be ordained, things like that. So it took us a few months. And I remember the night that Pastor Kurt was telling his team that they were gonna be his pastoral staff now. And I love the way he said it. He said, I've got good news for you guys. You've all been demoted. (laughs) You've all been demoted to pastors, right? The pastoral title isn't something we're trying to attain to because we've paid our dues in service and now people can serve us. The pastoral title is a position that says we're willing to lower ourselves and serve even more. Amen? It's something we should continually grow in. And David was not, about serve, not above serving wherever he was needed. My second point with serving is that serving can position you to take down the enemy. Later on, 1 Samuel 17, 12 through 19. Now David was a son of an Ephratite named Jesse who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons. How many sons? Eight. And in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest, how many? The three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest, how many? The three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistines came forward and every morning and every evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son, David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. A true servant does whatever is asked and it can position them to take down the enemy. David's out there tending the sheep. How many of his brothers were with Saul? The three oldest. David was the eighth, right? Said he had eight sons. Here's my question. Where were the other four? Why didn't his father go to his other four brothers who had not been anointed king and say, hey, why don't you go serve your other brothers? Instead, he goes to his son who he knew was to be king one day and he said, I need you to load up this food and take it to your brothers. I need you to be a, you know, that version of whatever the delivery services are. We don't ever use them. Um, This is where I'm showing you how old I am. What is it? DoorDash, there you go, thank you. And that's coming from Rick. I should have known that. (laughs) So he was DoorDashing his brothers when he had already been anointed king. But he wasn't above that. Now there's times when we we might be watching a movie up in our loft as a family. And uh, you know, I might be really into the movie and be a little lazy. So I'll ask my kids like, hey, can you run downstairs and grab me a snack? And they'll be like, oh, come on, dad, just do it yourself. All right, that's running from my loft to my kitchen. Do you know from Bethlehem to the Valley of Elah was about 12 miles? So Jesse's asking David to load up a donkey and take this donkey and probably the, you know, the heat of the day, 12 miles to his brothers, get word and 12 miles back. 
And David was willing to do that. And by doing that, it put him in a position to take down Israel's enemy. Serving can put you in a position to take down the enemy. Now you might look at that and see, say, you know, I've served my entire life and I've never gone up against a giant. I've never taken down an enemy. I don't understand this point. I want to present this to you guys. How many of you have received a healing during a worship uh, time in here? How many have received breakthrough? How many of you during a worship song, maybe there's a lyric that's spoken that something in your mind clicks, you're like, I was believing a lie. This is God's truth over my life, but this is the lie that I was believing. I would propose to you that every member of this team up here who's serving on the worship team has positioned themselves to be a part of that enemy being taken down in your life. Amen? The sound techs who are working so hard to make sure that we don't have feedback and things sound good in here, they are serving in a capacity to help you experience this breakthrough. They get to be a part of that breakthrough in your life. The lyric operators who put those words up on the screen that you read and something clicks and you're just like, that is a truth I'm gonna hold on to. They are serving in a way to help take down those strongholds in your life. Or let's look over at the kids ministry. I had a volunteer tell me a couple months ago that there was a a young kid that was coming in and their young life had already had a pretty bad tragedy happen to them. And they came in there angry and mad. And these volunteers just ministered to them and they let them know Jesus loves you. You have a God who will not leave you nor forsake you. And that kid comes back the next week angry and mad. This goes on for a couple of weeks and the kid starts to just, something breaks in them. And he said, now by the time this child leaves, they find the leaders, they hug them, they're excited, they're excited to be there. Do you guys know that this child could have had a lie that they were believing for the rest of their life? That could have been something that went through them through formative years and helped them make bad decisions, helped them see God in a light that isn't true. It could have been something that affected their marriage and their kids. It could have had a ripple effect. But because they're serving, they're taking down that stronghold in that child's life. Amen? Amen. Serving can position you to take down the enemy. Now this third point, have you ever had someone give you kind of an underhanded compliment? (laughs) You're like, thank you? You know, if I were to say to my wife, like, hey, thanks for actually dressing up today. Do you think that would go over well? (laughs) Would she hear that I was thankful that she dressed up or would she hear maybe that I don't think she dresses up most other days? This third point is the underhanded compliment point of my message. I'm letting you know that ahead of time. (laughs) Serving can position you to learn how to honor. That's the sweet side. In the midst of wounds. It's kind of the underhanded compliment side. So David's serving his king He's commanding this army. He's going out. He's winning battle after battle after battle. And he starts to get a bit of a reputation in the kingdom. And the people start singing. 1 Samuel 18, 7, it says, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul doesn't appreciate that. And he starts to keep an eye on David after that. 1 Samuel 18, 10, three verses later, the next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house. While David was playing the lyre, as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. After that, David goes back out and has success on the battlefield. And then he's back serving Saul again, playing music. First Samuel 19, nine. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul and he's sitting in his house with a spear in his hand while David was playing the lyre. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. 
that night, David made good his escape. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> right? Something I find interesting in this, David's playing music. Wasn't that kind of his entry-level service to the king? Then he starts to, to command armies and he's having victories and he's got the praise of the people. But in that, when he's doing that, it's not like he, when, when Saul's being tormented, he's like, hey man, listen, I paid my dues there, but I'm the commander of your army now. That's not for me, find somebody else. He would be leading armies one day, he'd be playing music for his king the next. He wasn't above being served where to ask. And it put him in a position to learn how to honor somebody who was wounding him. I love that word that Evan came up and shared. Maybe you've been wounded, but you've got to let it go. In fact, I'd take it a step further and say, you have to let it go and you have to learn how to show honor and love to the person who's wounded you. And then I'll ask you this question to kind of put it in perspective. And I'm not going to, again, ask you to raise your hand, but if this is you, I want you to come tell me this story afterwards. Of those who've been wounded by a manager or whatever, somebody in ministry, a pastor, whatever it may be, have any of them actually ever tried to pin you to a wall with a spear? <laughs> All right, if the answer's no, then I think we can learn from David that we can still learn to serve bad leaders. Now, David would still honor his, his king, even though he knew he was anointed already to be king. He didn't let that play into his decision to show honor. Do you wonder if there were days when, when David was just like, man, God, you said this. It's been 12 years at this point. This guy's trying to pin me to a wall. Can I still not show honor to him? Can I go ahead and just take over the kingdom? But in the midst of it, he's like, I'm still gonna show him honor. Saul finally just like completely goes off his rocker. And he's like, all I'm trying to do right now is kill David. I'm sick of this guy, I want him dead. So he's chasing him all over the place. And there's a, a, a situation where David and his men are hiding in a cave. Paul comes, or, or Saul comes into the cave. David has a chance to kill him and he doesn't. And afterwards it says this, 1 Samuel 24, 10. This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay a hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. David continued to show honor time and time again against a man who was trying to kill him. Serving can place you and put you in a position to learn honor in the midst of being wounded. And guys, if we can learn how to honor in the midst of being wounded, how much more so can we do in daily situations when we're called to serve those around us who haven't wounded us, to love them like Jesus would love them. If we can learn how to show honor to those who are wounding us, have we just taken a step to become more like Jesus Christ who's as he was hanging on the cross after being, being beaten to the point of death and he's dying, he looks up to heaven and he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. For they know not what they do. In a way, Jesus was showing honor to everybody who was wounding him. If we can learn how to do that, we become more like Jesus. This last point, I'm gonna jump over from King David to uh, a man called Obed-Edom. Uh, the Gittite. I love this guy. He's not mentioned very much in, in scripture, but uh, years ago, we had a chance to go to Israel and we were in a town called Abu Ghosh uh, and we were in a bed and breakfast. Do any of you guys know the Singermans? Kaiman Rudy Singerman. They have a bed and breakfast there. Amazing, um, amazing people. They have this bed and breakfast and, and what they do with this is that they, 
uh, they help Jews who are coming back into Israel trying to make Aliyah. So if they are Jewish and they've lived in another country and they actually wanna come and reside in Israel, it's a process for that to happen. And they'll take them in and they'll let them kind of like work off their living because it's, it's weird. You have to like be in the country for the process, but you can't work. Um, so they kind of let them like work for room and board. And so these people are Jewish, not believers, but the Singermans are believers. And every morning they start with family worship and prayer and the peace of God resides on that place. The day we were there, it's probably one of the most peaceful settings I've ever been in. It was just beautiful. And this bed and breakfast is on the edge of an alleyway and there's a cement wall and a little bit of a a fence. There's a field going up to the top of this hill and there's a church up there. And that church they believe is where the house of Obed-Edom would have been. And so after being there and experiencing God's presence, this guy always kind of holds a special place in my heart. I love this part of scripture. Uh, so David has become king now. This is years later. They've gone to battle with the Philistines. Philistines had taken the Ark of the Covenant, which is like the physical place where the presence of God dwelt in those days. And David's like, I'm bringing it back. And so he goes to get it and he's bringing it back, but they don't do it the right way. God says, if, if you're to carry the Ark, you're supposed to carry it on the shoulders of the priests on poles. They don't, they put it on a cart. The cart starts to rock. The Ark goes to fall off. A man named Uzzah, I think he tries to do the right thing. He puts his hand on it to stop it from falling over and he drops dead immediately. And David's like, oh my gosh, God must be angry at us. We cannot bring the, back, the ark back if that's the case. And so it happened to be near Obed-Edom, the Gittite's house. So he said, we're just gonna leave it here. Let's just leave it here for, for a little while. In uh, 1 Chronicles 13, 14, it says, thus the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed his household and everything he owned. My last point is that serving can put you in, can position you in the presence of the Lord. Obed-Edom was willing to serve. He was willing to let the ark reside in his home. And God blessed everything that he did. And I take that to mean everything. I think his kids were blessed. I believe his livestock was blessed. I believe every decision he made was blessed. In fact, I read some Jewish uh, scholars believe that at the to- in the time when the, the ark was in his house, like, all the women in his family, so his wife and his daughter-in-laws, like all gave birth at the same time or within that period, like just a blessing of an increase of his house. It's not, it's not in scripture, but that's something I read at some point. So everything that he had was blessed during that time. And King David hears this and he's like, all right, well, God must not be angry anymore. Let's go get the ark and bring it in. And this time he does it right. He has the Levites carrying it. They take six steps, they stop, they slaughter a bull and, and sacrifice to God. And they bring the ark into Jerusalem. Again, putting myself in the shoes of Obed-Edom. <laughs> By no task of my own, it wasn't on purpose, the Ark of the Covenant resides in my home. The king's too afraid to bring it with them, so it stays with me. And then everything I have starts to be blessed. And then when they hear that, they're like, okay, we're gonna take it now. I might be a little, feel a little entitled. <laughs> you know, like, hold, hold on a second. You can't just leave it here when it's not good for you and take it back when you find out that it blesses us. All right, I might be a little angry. I might see that as a point of bad leadership on King David's part. Not Obed-Edom. We find out in 1 Chronicles 16, uh, 38, it says that Obed-Edom and his son, uh, the son of Jeduthun uh, and also Hosea were to be gatekeepers. In another area of scripture, it says uh, the household of Obed-Edom were gatekeepers. Obed-Edom wanted to be in the presence of God. He didn't need to 
to be entitled. It wasn't an entitlement thing. He didn't need it to happen a certain way. He's like, whether the ark is residing in my home or whether I need to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord, I'll do that to be in the presence of God. Psalm 84.10 says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Doorkeepers weren't highly exalted positions. They were kind of either the custodians, if you will, or I like to think of them as the sound and media techs of the temple, right? First one's there, last one's out. The doorkeepers were there to open the doors for people to come worship, and they were there to close the doors in the evening. It wasn't a highly exalted position, but guess what? It was near the presence of God. Now, if you caught, I've referred to Obed-Edom a couple times as Obed-Edom the Gittite. The beginning of Psalm 84 says, for the choir master, according to Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, I did a lot of research because I wanted to line this up for you guys and, and I wanted to present the truth. I don't want to get up here and lie. <laughs> but I could not figure this out. I cannot figure out when Psalm 84 was written. And I can't figure out who wrote it. A lot of people believe it was David because the verbiage in it lines up with some psalms that we know were written by David. Other people believe it was written by somebody in the Levitical tribe. That's the sons of Korah. But either way, I'm gonna to present to you two cases that I believe could have happened here. Because it says that it was for the choir master according to Gittith. Gittith is an instrument used from the people of Gath. Obed-Edom, the Gittite, was from Gath. So I wonder, scenario one, if when Obed-Edom's struggling with how to continue to serve after the ark's being taken from his house, if he remembers this song written from his hometown of Gath, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. All right, sign me up. I'll be a doorkeeper. Or the other scenario is that it was written after the fact. And if that person from Gath was remembering the story of Obed-Edom from his hometown, who didn't think of himself too highly and said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I think it's very interesting that that phrase and that's, that psalm comes from the town of Obed-Edom, who is a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that cool? So last week, Pastor Kurt shared an amazing message. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it, please. He walked us through kind of a prophetic uh, situation that the Lord's revealing to him of where this church is at. And he said, he, he feels like God's taking us. We've kind of left the first stage of the church and we're moving into the next stage. And he used the example of a rocket where, you know, it's engines in the first stage can bring it up to traveling speed of 5,000 miles, but that second stage, it can get up to 16,000 miles. We can go so much faster. We can go so much farther. God's bringing us into an area where this church can be so much more effective. And as he was sharing his final points, I was thinking through this message because I was already planning and working on it. And I thought, this is so cool because I feel like this message is a support to his message and what God's walking him through. Servanthood is the key to us being as uh, efficient in this next stage as we can be, right? At the end of his, his message, Pastor Kurt shared three points that we're gonna, as a church, continue to fight the, the battle in the spirit realm. We're continue to build people up and we're gonna continue to love relentlessly. Well, as I shared, I believe that serving can position us to take down the enemy. It will help us to continue to fight the battle in the spirit realm. 
Serving by definition is building other people up, right? And it's an act of love. If we want to love this community, if we want to love this city, we need to serve this city. So I believe that serving is the key, is, is a key to what Pastor Kurt was sharing last week. And it's really cool when God starts to line stuff up like that, right? So let's go over those points really quick. Serving can position you in alignment with your calling, can position you to take down the enemy. It can position you to learn honor even in the midst of wounds. And it can uh, position you in the presence of the Lord. Now, the last thing I wanna say is that a lot of times you might hear a message on serving and I have been in this place before where I'm like, that's awesome. I'm just too busy. I understand being busy. I'm gonna say this and then I'm not gonna give you any context and you're gonna wonder what happened. <laughs> Leslie and I have been so busy, we literally had somebody move into our house this month and we didn't know. <laughs> okay? I, yeah, there's a lot to that story. I, I understand being busy, all right? You might say like, I, I just don't have any more to give. I get that, I've been there before. You're, you're drained, you just feel like you have nothing else to give. Well, here's the crazy thing about the kingdom. Many times the kingdom works almost opposite the way the physical realm works. If you feel like you don't have any more to give, the answer in the kingdom is to continue to give and watch God expand your ability to hold more. That's not how it works in the physical world, but that's how it works with God. Matthew 20, 25 through 28. This is kind of ending where we began. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. In verse 28, where we began, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God's ways are higher than ours. I don't understand them. The kingdom works opposite the way that our brains do. If you want to be great amongst somebody, you need to serve them. If you wanna be first, you must be their slave. We're called to bless those who persecute us. We're called to love our enemies. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the name above all names, the one person in the history of this world who above anybody else deserved to be served, did not come to be served, but to serve. Guys, I am passionate about servanthood. Not because I, I love to just sacrifice myself, if I'm honest. I know that I grow when I serve. And I wanna see that in others. This isn't a message to try to guilt you guys into serving this church because we need it. This is a message to empower you with a weapon in your arsenal in the spirit realm. This is good for you. And it's good for us. And it's good for the community that we serve. I wanna end by giving you an opportunity to serve though. And this is something that is not a, a large time commitment. As you know, this is a pro-life church. We don't shy away from that. We're, we're for life, we're for adoption. We have an adoption fund. You can ask uh, anybody on staff about that if you have any questions about that. 
But we don't just say we're pro-life, we wanna act pro-life. We wanna help out and, and help in situations that give these mothers that are choosing life opportunities and the support that they need. And one of the ways that we can do that is to help with foster care in this area. And the, uh, the county of Weld County has approached us and partnered with us to provide a respite event for the foster care families for Weld County. And it's the first time that a church uh, is partnering with them in this way to provide full respite care on a day for all the families in Weld County. And this is for their biological children and, and children in the foster care system as well, in the foster families. And what we're gonna do on Sunday, July 18th, is we're gonna provide from four to seven, a respite event where we take all these children, we love on them, we have fun with them, we show them the love of Christ, and we bless the, fam the parents to say, just get a couple hours and go on a date. Get a couple hours and go run some errands without having to have your kids with you. Your kids are in a safe place that's approved by the county. You know you're good, we just wanna bless you guys. And this is needed, it's really needed. I have a video production company. I've interviewed families that are in, in foster care and in the adoption process and things like that. And guys, specifically, which most of these children are, these families are doing foster care for the purpose of reunifi reunifying these children with their biological parents, which is amazing. They're coming in when these parents are going through a hard point in life and they're saying, hey, we understand and we're here to help. Let us take care of your children for this time until you get things right and then take your children back. Is that not God's heart? Can we help support that? So on that Sunday, we're gonna need upwards of possibly 70 volunteers. Like I said, it's a three hour event um, and we're gonna provide dinner. We're gonna have a lot of fun and games. We need volunteers who can help with all age groups from birth up to age 18. We need volunteers who can help us set up, tear down. We have some positions for volunteers who might be more administratively gifted that can help us on the front end, set things up. Uh, and those, I think those positions start um, as early, I don't remember the exact date, but there's, there's some weekday things if you're available on the weekday. But if you'll just scan that QR code or go to citylights.church respite, you can fill out a form there and just let us know you're interested. I need to clarify this because Pastor Greg asked me ahead of time. If I scan that QR code, does it mean that I'll show up at home with a foster child there? No. This is a small commitment, guys. <laughs> We're just asking for help. We just wanna love the community. We wanna love these families. We wanna serve them. We wanna be the hands and feet of Jesus. We wanna be more like Jesus as we're serving these, community, these families in our community, amen? Amen. Like I said, guys, I'm passionate about this because I, I just love it. I believe that God calls, it to, uh, calls us to be servants because for our benefit as well as those that we're serving. And so I hope that, that, that I conveyed that a little bit to you today and, uh, and just showed you some, some things that, some positions that you can be placed in as a servant. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you for this church. God, I'm not saying this to try to pressure anybody into helping with this event, but I really do believe that every single person that rose their hand at the beginning of this message wants to be more like you. And I thank you that I get to be a part of a church like that. I thank you that I get to be a part of a church that's hungry for your presence and hungry to be more like you. And so God, I ask us just to, to um, I ask that you just reveal in your word those, those truths about servanthood, that it is sacrificial because we're called to be sacrificial, but it's also life-giving. It's edifying to us. 
and it helps us become more like you. And God, give us opportunities to serve in areas that align us with our calling. Lord, there's already plenty of enemies in the spirit realm in this area. And so God, I pray that through our service, you would put us in places to take down those enemies. God, I thank you that you don't call us to give up on people when we're wounded, but you call us to honor them and to love them. And I pray, Lord, that you would put us in places through our service where we can honor people who wound us. And most of all, God, I thank you for your presence. I thank you that your presence goes with us. But God, I pray that you put us in places through our service to just encounter more of your presence. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into the City Lights podcast. We appreciate your support and we'd love to fellowship with you. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. Be sure to check out our website at citylights.church where you can submit prayer requests, receive info on special events, and find our social media links. We're glad you could join us, and we hope you have a blessed week.